When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, welcome to our big Browns-Bengals preview. Browns facing the Bengals on Monday Night Football. We've got our normal full pod coming your way. Andrew Gillis from our own Bengals reporting staff will join us to tell us about the Bengals. We did record that on Wednesday, so uh, some breaking news we're about to talk about. We weren't aware of at the time, but uh, still a good interview to listen to. We're going to have prop bets, picks, Lance Reisland scouting report. Uh, So that's all coming up here on our big Browns-Bengals preview. But first... Mary Kay Cabot is here, and we are reacting to the breaking news of Jamar Chase not playing on Monday Night Football. We thought eh, probably about midday today he wasn't practicing, but it seemed like, you know, he finished that game Sunday, Mary Kay, and it seemed like, okay, he'll probably rally and be able to get out there Monday night, but it turns out he won't be. And I don't think we can overstate the importance of this loss. I don't think so either, Dan. I think it's absolutely huge, Uh, you know, to take your best receiver out of the game, not only your best receiver, uh, the receiver that has over 600 yards already this season, not even halfway through the season, and has six touchdown catches, 47 receptions. Obviously, he's right up there uh, with the best of the best in the NFL, off to a great start. And for him to be out of this game, I think it's absolutely huge. It gets them down into their depth a little bit. Obviously, they've got three really great receivers. And, uh, you know, so they still have T. Higgins. They still have Tyler Boyd. But when you take him out of there, I mean, it really is like taking, you know, Stephon Diggs away from Josh Allen or Tyreek Hill away from Tua or something along those lines. This is big. I I made this comparison with Lance people will hear it later. This is almost like when you play the the Warriors in basketball and Steph Curry, whether he has the ball or not, whether he's shooting well or not, you have to like slant your whole defense around him. And he just affects everything, just his, his presence. And I think Jamar is that type of player. And it doesn't guarantee anything for the Browns, but it certainly makes life easier to defend this football team. Well, it definitely does. I mean, it really, really does. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. First of all, we don't know yet if uh, Denzel Ward is going to be able to play in this game. He has a concussion. He's still in the concussion protocol. And, you know, when we were looking at this earlier, of course, the big thing was, okay, they've got to go against these three uh, amigos without Denzel Ward and especially 
Jamar Chase without Denzel Ward, their lockdown corner who had the 99 yard pick six. Well, I think if you take Jamar Chase off the field, I mean, you could almost live without Denzel Ward being out there. Uh, You know, you still have some really good cornerbacks that can match up with those other good receivers. I just think it, it is an enormous, enormous break for the Browns not to have to face him. I I think that's the key. The, the whole Denzel Ward thing. Uh, because like you said, now we, we, we t- so there's a, a three things that you need to know for this game that has been lost to history now that no one will ever hear except for you, me and Ashley. Um, and we taught, you mentioned in there that without Denzel Ward, you start to get into your depth and against mm-hmm. this receiving core with this running back and, you know, a decent tight end, you, you don't want to be getting into your depth and throwing Martin Emerson in a spot where he's not ready. You know, Greedy Williams is out with an illness today. Who knows what what that's gonna if if he's gonna be back for Monday night or not? You think he will be, but you just never know. AJ, you're looking at AJ Green. You're looking at. I mean, we could go down the list. If Denzel doesn't come out of the concussion protocol in the next few days, like you said, this does give the Browns some breathing room. Now, hey Greg, you go cover T Higgins, and we'll deal with Tyler Boyd and I don't even know Mike Thomas and whoever else the Bengals might throw out there. We'll deal with them with some other guys, it's just a whole lot easier to do. Well, you're, you're right. It really is because you know that you have to commit a safety over the top when you're talking about Jamar Chase. It just changes everything about the way uh, that you can play your defense. And, uh, and I do think it's going to be a whole lot easier, especially for a defense that has struggled some, uh, actually a fair amount in past defense this season, especially early on. They're getting better. They're tightening up. Uh, but there have been communication issues. Teams have gone after MJ Emerson a little bit. And, you know, you would have to think that they would try to do that again. Uh, that's what teams do. They test rookie cornerbacks. It's just the way of the NFL. So, you know, not having to commit that extra safety over the top to Jamar Chase. I just think that's huge. I think it takes a lot of pressure off. As you mentioned, you know, Greedy Williams with an illness today, you know, he's got a few days to to recover and get back. So chances are, he will be back out there, but, um, but still, I just think that uh, I, I think that Joe Burrow, you know, I mean, you take away his best weapon. I mean, you're taking six touchdowns out, you know, out of the lineup already six touchdown passes this season catches this season. And that's absolutely huge. That's the name of the game scoring the football. And that's what those two do together. And he's been coming on lately too. Like the last two games in particular, He's been really good. And it, it's just that extra element. It's just that little extra, like, you know, they can get him the ball in weird ways and get him quick, quick throws, you know, bubble screens, things like that. But it's just that added element of getting downfield. And we've seen how that has been just an Achilles heel for this Browns defense all season. I mean, it was it was not difficult to close your eyes and imagine a couple times on Monday night where number one is just running free. And Burrow's not Burrow's not going to miss him, and it's just now that now that's not going to be there. And maybe T. Higgins is going to do that. Maybe we'll see. But it just this game feels more winnable here at five fifty-five on Thursday than it did at three o'clock on Thursday. 
I mean, I think it's definitely, it does make it winnable. It really does. Again, like you said, it doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, but, you know, if you had to take a Browns player off the field, it would be akin to taking Nick Chubb or Miles Garrett also off the field, I think. I mean, it's really, uh, it's that big. It's somebody that impacts the game that much. And, uh, you know, I just think it's, I think it's huge. I think it gives the Browns new life. I think it should breathe some hope and excitement into them that they can go out there and try to win this game. And if they do that, um, you know, then you're kind of back in the game a little bit. If you're back in the game at three and four, then I mean, three and five, I'm sorry. Um, if you're back in the game at three and five, then if you can, if you can try to steal another one somewhere along the line and at least be able to hand Deshaun Watson four victories, and then he can, if he can go out and, maybe go five and one, maybe in a perfect world, at least you stay in the playoff conversation. It's so important for the Browns to win this game on Monday night. And now they have a chance. And long-term, you know, there's, there's a chance that Chase could end up on IR <laughs> and now you don't have him for four games. If you're the Bengals and they, they aren't getting into, they, they've kind of gotten through a tough portion of their schedule. Um, I'm looking here at their next four real quick, just to pull it up. Uh, so they've got the Browns Monday night. They've got Carolina. They've got their bye week. They've got at Pittsburgh, at Tennessee. Uh, those last two certainly are not gimmies, but they aren't. You know, it's not when they have to go play Kansas City, for example, or when they play Buffalo in the final game of the season or the next to last game of the season. Right. So it's not, it's not the toughest part of their schedule, but still, it just makes things a little bit easier for all those other teams. And it makes the Bengals more vulnerable at a time when I think the arrow was really starting to point up for them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they have won four of their last five games. If you look at the statistics in their victory over Atlanta, they dominated that game. And uh, Joe Burrow was just on fire. And that's kind of what happens when you've got receivers like that, and especially a receiver like Jamar Chase. And he's different. Pro, pro bowlers are different, okay? Not every number one receiver in the NFL is a pro bowler, but Jamar Chase is a pro bowler. I mean, he's that good. He's that dangerous, and uh, and he was an enormous part of their offense. So I, as you said, I don't think we're overstating this by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, that's a lethal one-two punch from Joe Burrow uh, to Jamar Chase, and now they won't have it. And the other important thing I think to note here, Dan, is the fact that you know if he misses six games or maybe even a few more, he could miss the second matchup with the Cleveland Browns on December 11th. I mean, you never know how this hip is going to respond. So there's a chance that he might be out both games. If not, he could just be getting back for that last game, trying to shake off the rust, not really necessarily being himself. But I do think in this very, very tight AFC North race, I think this matters a lot. Yeah, no, nobody has taken hold of this thing just yet. And it felt like the Bengals were on the verge of it. And mm -hmm. this just, this gives you pause. So we'll see, we'll see how they look on Monday night against the Browns. And we're going to talk more about that on our preview pod coming up. So uh, Mary Kay and I talked to Andrew Gillis on Wednesday. So obviously there's going to be some Jamar Chase in this interview. Uh, I'm going to try to edit out uh, most of the, the stuff that is now irrelevant, but you can't get everything out of there. It's still a good interview. Certainly still worth a listen to get to know uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Then after that, Mary Kay and I will be joined by Ashley Bastock and Doug Maurice. We're going to do prop bets. Lance Reisland is going to give us his Bengals scouting report. 
Uh, we actually recorded that right after the Jamar Chase news broke. And then we'll make our game picks, which I'm very curious to see how this news impacts everyone's game picks. So that'll be coming up at the very end of the pod. So we'll take a break and then you'll get to hear our interview with Andrew Gillis of Cleveland.com, Bengals reporter uh, from Wednesday. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, and we welcome Andrew Gillis, one of our Bengals beat reporters. You can find his work, of course, at cleveland.com slash Bengals and on the Strictly Stripes podcast. We've been doing some crossover pods with them this week. If you missed those, go check them out. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's I'm very excited. It's an honor to be here. (laughs) Andrew, we are going to start with the obvious. My goodness, what a game Joe Burrow is coming off of, and obviously, honored as AFC Offensive Player of the Week. It seems like he is hitting his stride just in time for the big Halloween game. How's he doing? What's going so well? Yeah, uh, well, so at the beginning of the year, um, you know, if you've paid attention to the Bengals throughout the beginning of the, like through the first couple of weeks, even when they were winning, it didn't always look very clean. And one of the big things that was really kind of problematic for them was that opposing defense was running a lot of cover two looks, a lot of two high looks where you just, you throw two safeties back there, you force everything underneath. That was the reason I think why Joe Burrow was taking a lot of sacks. He was trying to wait for something magic to happen. He was trying to create things that didn't, you know, that just weren't there. So that was kind of the problem early over the last few weeks. They've slowly settled into more of a rhythm. They almost exclusively operate out of the shotgun now. Um, Against the Saints two weeks ago, they ran two plays. One was a quarterback kneel down. The other was a quarterback sneak under center. Uh, they only ran a handful of plays, and most of them came on the last drive against the Falcons. They, they've they really kind of figured out who they are offensively. It's helped Burrow, and, I mean, you see the results. I mean, what he absolutely shredded the Falcons, and they've kind of understood now how they have to beat two high looks, and that's really kind of been the biggest problem for them. They've scored 30-plus points in the last two weeks, so their offense is kind of firing all cylinders right now. Yeah, this transition to – kind of more of a true spread with, with Burrow and the right. shotgun more often, just watching that Atlanta game. He looked like a point guard. Like he was just sitting in the pocket and just delivering the ball. Uh, you know, Tyler Boyd had a big game early. Jamar Chase got going. Is, is that sort of what it looks like to you? Yeah. The point guard is a really good way to put it. I think, um, you know, cause Tyler Boyd led them in receiving. And I said this on our podcast, Tyler Boyd to me, you know, the Bengals have talked for a few weeks about getting Tyler Boyd more involved and wanting to get him into the offense because He's not traditionally a slot receiver like you would think. Because everybody thinks of a slot receiver. Okay, here's this five foot nine, five foot ten, speedy guy. Tyler Boyd's six foot two. Like when they when they utilize him in the offense, it's not strictly underneath as we saw in that first drive of the game where you throw the bomb. So when you get a guy like Tyler Boyd involved, to me, that's kind of a sign that the offense is kind of humming along, and they've just got so many weapons that Burrow really has an advantage wherever he throws on the field. Because Jamar Chase is a, I mean, he's one of the best receivers in the NFL. When T. Higgins is your number two, you really can't go wrong in that situation. So to me, you know, their offense is just at a point where 
it's almost hard for them to screw up when, when Joe Burrow is on his game. So yeah, I mean, distribute, all he's got to do basically is distribute the ball and then they're going to be fine. Now elsewhere on this offense, the run game, I know it's been a struggle to kind of get Joe Mixon going this year. Um, There there's been some positive signs here and there, but uh, especially with them using so much shotgun now, how does that change things for Mixon? Yeah. You know, I think, it's the shotgun and it's the RPOs and it's kind of everything come together. Like it's so weird with this offense because one thing relates to another thing and you can just go down the line. Like the offensive line didn't play one snap together during the preseason and Leo Collins missed most of training camp and Joe Burrow missed most of training camp. Like you just didn't get the reps. So now that the offensive line is kind of getting better, I think that that's helped the switch to the shotgun has helped. But like in the beginning of the year, uh, you know, I have it right in front of me. It, it was 3.04 yards per attempt, 3.0 yards per attempt, 2.0 yards per attempt, and 2.54 yards per attempt. You can look at those numbers. You can look at the DVOA numbers. They were miserable, and and it wasn't for not getting him the ball. They they re- he had the more he had the most carries through four weeks of the season than any other player in the NFL. They were really kind of bashing their head into a wall, trying to get the run game going. Like I mentioned, against those two high looks, they were trying to bring defenses out of it. Now that you've switched to the shotgun, you've kind of given a little bit more to think about. You've given defenses a little bit more to think about. Uh, Those RPO looks kind of freeze the linebackers a little bit. You're typically facing lighter boxes. So it has helped, I think, just from a simple math standpoint. I think think it's – the offensive line has gotten better. I think they've kind of figured out what they need to do running the ball. But I also think it's they're putting the run game in more advantageous situations. And they're not relying on it as heavily. I mean, he only carried the ball 17 times last week because they won by 18 points. He only carried the ball eight times against the Saints. Like, they're not relying on the run game, certainly not like the Browns do, but kind of like they have been for the first couple of weeks of the season. How are the Bengals going to handle – Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney, because when those two guys are feeling good and they're, they've got a little bit more time to heal this week, when those guys are at the top of their game, they are so difficult to handle blasting off that edge. Yeah. Uh, very carefully is the answer. Um, they, you know, one of the things that the Bengals have really kind of talked about at the beginning of the year, and, and I, I thought it was weird that they were talking about this, but I think it does have a lot of validity. Um, they trailed on their second offensive play of the game against the Steelers. They trailed before the offense hit the field against the Cow- like when they played the Cowboys. They were down 10 nothing against the Ravens. They were down against the Saints. And when that happens, defensive lines are just able to tee off. They don't have to worry about the run game. You can just pretty much just say, okay, we're going to pass rush, and that's all we've got to do. So I think what, what the Bengals have really kind of done here, because their offensive line, it's not, I think it's kind of gotten a bad rap over the last two or three weeks. People kind of still think, oh, they're the Bengals offensive line. They have been playing better, but what the Bengals have done, they've started taking the ball uh, when they win the coin toss. Um, so typically they start with the ball. They try to put an early lead on teams so that you can slow up those pass rushers because then they have to worry about the run game. Then you kind of have to make them think twice about, you know, can I really go after Joe Burrow in a full pass rush right now? And then those RPO looks like I mentioned, they they're it's basically they're doing everything possible to help out their offensive line whether that be freeze the linebackers make defensive end things twice you know make defensive ends think twice reading defensive ends i mean i've seen a couple times one or twice once or twice where they'll just leave a defensive end unblocked and kind of run an rpo off of that defensive end so there's going to be a whole lot of things that they're going to try 
to slow down Miles Garrett and Clowney because oh my God, that it's it's a really tough matchup. And you know, early in the year when they played the Steelers, when they played the Cowboys, they really struggled. So it's going to be a big test for them. So obviously, when we talk a lot about Joe Burrow, we talk a lot about that side of the football. But this defense has kind of quietly been really good this year. Yeah. Um, what what has made them so effective? Yeah. Um, you know, you look at their defense and it's it's very weird because nobody on that defense strikes you as that's an all pro player. You know, you don't look at it and say, you know, like Trey Hendrickson is a very good edge rusher. Sam Hubbard is a very good edge rusher. Uh, DJ Reader, who's out and he's probably not going to be back for the for the Browns game, which is big. But as a defensive tackle, you know, you look at him. OK, he's a great run defender. Logan Wilson, great linebacker. You can go down the line and say. You know, oh, really good player, you know, borderline Pro Bowl player, but they don't have an individual talent like a Miles Garrett or even like a Jadavion Clowney, I don't think. Like, it, it, but what they do so well is they are really, really good at playing within a system. And I think it's kind of, it, it, it sounds backwards, but I think it's almost benefiting them that you don't have a superstar that just goes and freelances because everybody's together and everybody knows the system so well. They've all been in the system for a few years. They haven't allowed a second half touchdown all year. Um, I forget that it might be the 2000 Ravens, I think, or the, it was either the Ravens or the Titans that haven't allowed a second half touchdown this far into the season. So you're in pretty good company in that regard. Um, you know, they, their, their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, he talks a lot about allowing yardage is fine. Don't allow points. Um, and, and it's worked. I mean, they've they've only allowed, I think, more than 24 points once this season. It was against the Saints. Um, the Steelers line was even misleading because there was a pick six. Like, they really, really shut teams down offensively. And, I mean, if it wasn't for the defense, the team certainly wouldn't be four and three, which is crazy to say when you're talking about the Bengals. But what about Nick Chubb? Nick Chubb is uh, playing on another level this season. Right. He's so hard to stop. He's being kept fresh with some strategic use of Kareem Hunt, although Kareem hasn't gotten many touches in the last two weeks. He'll probably, I think, would will get more on Monday night. Um, but, you know, do they have an answer for the great Nick Chubb? I think we're going to find out. Um, I, and I think that that's, that's a tough question to answer because they've, they've had an answer for Lamar Jackson and his run game. They've had an answer for the Falcons run game and the Falcons run game has been really good for the saints run game, but they have not faced an individual talent like Nick Chubb. I mean, obviously Lamar Jackson's a great running talent. He's a great running threat, but it's a different type of runner than, than Nick Chubb, obviously. So um, they, they're kind of banged up up the middle, which is something to monitor, I think, here. Uh, I mentioned DJ Reader. He got hurt a few weeks ago. He's probably not going to play. Uh, Josh Tupo, who the guy who was replacing DJ Reader, he's got a calf injury. He's probably not going to play. Logan Wilson, their middle linebacker, he's got a shoulder injury. Nobody really knows. We're going to find out this week. So it's going to be interesting to me if it like how they're going to handle that if you have to just put in a bunch of reserves because – they played really, really well against the Falcons, and I don't want to take anything away from them, but Nick Chubb is a whole different beast. So, you know, to me, it's going to come down to if they can force – if they can, like I said, if you can take the lead and you can force the Browns to have to throw the ball, that's how you take Nick Chubb out of it because I don't think they have the horses. If it comes down to it, when it comes down to the come down, if, if Nick Chubb's running downhill, I think it's, it's a matchup the Browns will take every time. Mm-hmm. 
Andrew, I, I don't want to make too much of this, but I'm going to. So <laughs> against Love New it. Orleans, against New Orleans, 7-12 left in the third quarter. Saints kick a field goal to go up 23-14. Um, and then the Bengals make that comeback and end up stealing that game 30-26. to How different are things if the Bengals don't come back in that game? Yeah, um, no, and that's actually not making too much of it at all. I said this on our post-game podcast. I said that win felt like the win that you look back on at Christmas and New Year's and say, wow, that was the win. Because it wasn't just that they won it. It was how they won it. And, you know, I mentioned that they pretty much that was the game where they exclusively went to the shotgun. They utilized a lot of RPOs. They kind of figured out who they are offensively after a couple a couple tough drives. So to me, it was it was a matter of how like how it happened. Um, their offense figured it out. You know, their defense after a couple couple big runs by the Saints early on, their defense figured it out. And then like they're four and three right now. You've got the Browns and then the Panthers going into the bye week. Like if you're three and four, you are sitting here in a situation going, we have to beat the Browns and we have to beat the Panthers. Because, and, and then you're just trying to get above 500 before the bye week. Right now, that win just gave you a little bit of wiggle room because at the end of the year, they play the Chiefs, they play the Bills, they play the Ravens again, they play the Bucks. And I know the Bucks are not great right now, but their matchups at the end of the year are really, really tough. So that win, I really don't think you can overstate how important that was, just not only that they got into the win column and they kind of kept pace in the AFC North, but how it happened. I think that was one of those wins where, it was a season changer. You know, just from an intangible standpoint, you look at this game uh, and, you know, the the Bengals are 0-2 in the AFC North right now. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's it's all bunched up. I mean, it, it's really tight. If the Browns win this game, uh, they go to 2-1 in the division. The Bengals go to 0-3 in the division. And the Browns are only one game behind them. So just from an intangible standpoint, How do you think that factors in and how big do you think the Bengals are viewing this? It's Monday night. It's Halloween. It's going to be nuts. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. uh, You know, Zach Taylor got asked, um, you know, do you kind of look at this game as maybe a little bit more important of a division game considering you don't want to fall to 0-3? And he shook that off and said no. And I think he was lying. Um, I think I think you just kind of have to say you just with with the tiebreakers the way they are. I mean, right now you got the Ravens and the Bengals at the top of the division. The Bengals play the Ravens to end the year. Like losing tiebreakers is not a situation that you want to be in when you have a home game against the Ravens late like that. So I I think that they are kind of looking at this as a, as kind of like, as not as, not out on its own as a, as a season changer, but you know, Joe Burrow said after the Saints game, these next three games, referencing the Falcons, the Browns, and the Panthers, are going to decide how their season goes. Because if you can get by the Browns, you got the Panthers coming up. And with all due respect to the Carolina Panthers, that shouldn't be a problem for the Bengals right now. Then you're sitting at six and three going into the bye week, and you're feeling really good. So, that you know, they're looking at this as kind of a three-game season, and this is just the next one. And if you can get this one, I think you're going to be feeling so much better if you're the Bengals about not only where you're at after your 0-2 start, they've won four out of five, and they're, you know the only loss was a last-second field goal. So you are just going to be feeling way, way better than you would be if you're 4-4 four and four going, we need to win to get to above 500. 
All right. So acknowledging that we're recording this on Wednesday, neither team has had any availability. We're still, I mean, technically our weeks haven't even started yet. So we're not going <laughs> to, we're not going to completely hold you to this. I know folks are going to be hearing this on a Friday, but it was recorded on Wednesday. Uh, your early pick for this game. You want a score prediction or, or just a pick? If you've got one. <laughs> All right, let's go for it. Why not? Uh, life is for the bold. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pick Bengals 31 Browns 24. Um, I think the Bengals are better. Um, I just think that the weapons they have offensively just change the game so quickly because against teams like the Browns that run the football that can, you know, you can suck the life out of a game if you have Nick Chubb in that offensive line. And that is what makes the Browns dangerous offensively. You know, they, we, we talked about their guards um, on the crossover podcast. We talked about how good Nick Chubb is and all that other stuff. But when you have an offense that when the Browns go on a nine minute drive for a touchdown, when you have an offense that basically without breaking a sweat can score in five plays, that just changes the math so much for me. So I think the Bengals are going to win. They're rolling right now. They kind of know who they are. They've got an identity, and I think that that really matters. So I think the Bengals are going to continue their win streak, uh, win three in a row, five out of six. And I think this is going to be the game where a lot of people look at it and say, maybe we need to be thinking about the Bengals in this situation like we think of the Bills and the Chiefs and the Eagles. So this is a big win, I think, I think nationally too. I think it's going to change some perspectives. All right, Andrew Gillis covers the Bengals for us. Cleveland.com slash Bengals. That's where you can find his work. Also, the Strictly Stripes podcast, uh, just like the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Uh, every single day, they bring you Bengals content on Stri- Strictly Stripes. Sorry to say that five times fast. And uh, so, so just go and get subscribed uh, to that, just like you are to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Andrew, where can everybody find your work on Twitter? Yeah, uh, at Andrew underscore Gillis 70. Um, you'll find my tweets about the Bengals and maybe some college football takes about the BCS <laughs> or whatever. So I hope you enjoy it. Perfect. All right, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh, we're going to do some prop bets. We'll have our game picks at the end, and Lance Reisland is also going to give us his scouting report on the Bengals. Andrew, thanks for the time. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, our big Browns and Bengals preview pod. Doug Maurice is joining us. Ashley Bastock is joining us. We're going to do prop bets. Then you're going to hear from Lance Reisland. He's going to give the scouting report on the Bengals. And then we're going to come back and give you our picks for this game. And of course, we're recording this not long after... Uh, as Mary Kay and I talked about in the open, a very game-changing moment as Jamar Chase will not be playing in this football game on Sunday. I'm sorry, on Monday night. I'm curious to see how that affects everyone, everyone's picks, but we will get to that. So, Mary Kay, why don't you lead us off here? Now, some of these prop bets are coming from DraftKings. Some of them we are making up on our own. They don't have their a, a lot of their player props up just yet here as we're recording this because it is a Monday night game. So, Mary Kay, you've got one for us that you came up with. Uh, Yeah, you know, with Jamar Chase out, of course, the focus moves to T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Uh, You know, 
Joe Burrow is going to have to find a new number one target. Uh, so I'm going to look at what T. Higgins might do in this game from a yardage standpoint. And uh, the number for yardage is over under 75 yards for T. Higgins, who currently, as the number two receiver, has 31 receptions, 455 yards, and two touchdowns. So I am going with, and that, that works out to about 65 yards per game for T. Higgins. So I went a little over that. Um, I bumped that up by 10, knowing that he's going to be targeted more. But will it be a bunch more? Or is Joe Burrow going to spread that ball around? Is he going to get Hayden Hurst a little bit more involved? Tyler Boyd even more involved? Um, so 75 yards over under for T. Higgins. Mary Kay, are you like a freelance odds maker or bookie or something? This is a really good number. I feel like just looking at T. Higgins' season, he's got like three games over this number, three games under this number. I think this is actually a really interesting number. Like it's, I like it. It's good. It's a good starting point. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Doug, (laughs) what do you think? Over under 75 for T. Higgins. So I, I would just make sure we, again, direct our loyal listeners here to the crossover pod we did with our Strickling Stri- Strictly Stripes guys mm-hmm. uh, on the Bengals beat this week where we we picked all Ohio offense, offense and all Ohio defense. And then that receiver discussion, I can't remember who it was, but I think that one of the Bengals guys made the point, like T. Higgins is a number one receiver. Like he happens to be on the same team with Jamar Chase, but the kind of player that he is, the size he has, um, that's what he is. So this idea that's like, oh, I mean, this is a huge loss for the Bengals. But what do you do? You just, I, the idea of will he spread it around or will Joe Burrow lean on T. Higgins? I'm thinking like 120 for T. Higgins <laughs> on Monday night. So I am I would ride with Mary Kay on a T. Higgins over her imaginary but very reasonable number. Yeah, I'm going to go with the over two. I mean, you look at last week in that game against Atlanta and both Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd wound up with over a hundred yards. So I definitely think even if like Doug's saying, if they do decide to pass the ball around, it is still feasible that multiple of these guys could go off. So I like this number. It's not too high for me. I think it's definitely doable for the Bengals. Should we be talking more about like, like, is this actually going to be a big Tyler Boyd game and maybe just kind of a, a normal T Higgins game because obviously T Higgins will have to go up against whoever the Browns number one corner is, whether it's Denzel Ward or Greg Newsom and wh- whichever one it is, that guy's pretty good. And now Tyler Boyd maybe gets to move into that number two role, or maybe they keep him in the slot and they stick somebody else outside, but he's six foot two, two Oh three. He just had 155 yards against the Falcons. He was actually, early in that game, kind of their big play guy. He had uh, four for 105 against the Jets. Is there a chance that maybe this is a T Higgins under, but maybe it's a big Tyler Boyd game? That's that's a situation where I would think about maybe taking the T Higgins under. Yeah, I mean, Boyd had a great game, like you said last week, Dan. I mean, it was by far his best game of the season. He had 105 yards in week three, but... Those are the only two times he's even eclipsed the 100-yard mark. But 
I don't know. I guess it's kind of like a, if you're betting on this, a picking your poison thing. Do you think multiple of these guys are going to go off? Do you want to, like you're saying, really look at the matchups and think, huh, like Tyler Boyd might actually have the more favorable matchup. I personally think it's a possibility that both of these guys have big games and you might want to look at the overs on both of them. Doug, that's a, that feels like a statement on the Browns pass defense that Ashley just <laughs> threw out that like, look at the Maybe. overs, like who well, the Bengals also, throw out. Also, I will say a part of this is not only that the Bengals have kind of retooled their offense over the last couple of weeks. Like if Denzel Ward doesn't play, I think that's a really big deal. And we kind of talked about that already because of the matchups that they might be able to get and we don't know how some of those guys are going to be and of course that Denzel pick six from last year just looms I think so large in that game which was a big win it changed the game from the get-go so I think if they don't have him that that could really hurt Cleveland but I I just think also that's what this Bengals team is built to do throw the ball and I think that's what they're going to do or or Doug to put words in Ashley's mouth is she trying to say like Eh, bring TJ Hushmanzada out of retirement and he'll get 150 <laughs> yards. Uh, no, yeah, Greg Newsom's going to hang this on his fridge as soon as he prints <laughs> out Ashley's quotes here. Um, I, I, you know, this is what they do, right? And and you see, this is the opportunity that guys are waiting for. I just, I just think T. Higgins is going to be like, Joe, Joe, Joe. It's my night. Like, let's go. Like, I think he's going to, he's going to, he'll show up. He can wear like a Jamar Chase like a t-shirt with Jamar Chase's face on it and say that like, but like, this is what T Higgins has been waiting for. T Higgins is like, Oh, I love it that I'm with Jamar Chase and what a great passing attack we have and what a good teammate I am, but also like, Oh, Jamar's out. It's tea time, baby. So like, what's your tea time? Oh, my tea times nine o'clock Monday night. I'm going to be there bright and early and I'm bringing out the driver. So I think T Higgins is, I think this is his moment. That's a golf analogy, Dan. Did you get it? Tea I time? did. I did. That was good. That was very, that was well done. Well done. Um, yeah, I'm going to take the over here for all of that. <laughs> for all my talk of Tyler Boyd and all that. I, I, I mean, how could you not? How could you not take the over on this? I think it's remarkable that those two guys, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, have the exact same number of yards this season at 455. That's that's not easy to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the over is, yeah, I probably should have made it a little bit higher, but I was thinking the method to my madness was that that he might end up spreading the ball around more than he normally would uh, in an effort to, you know, just kind of keep the Browns off balance a little bit. And, but I still think that, that he will get over, over 75. Some of this is a Joe Burrow discussion too, right? Like it's just that faith in, you know, how how often do we talk about Deshaun Watson is going to make receivers better when, when he starts playing? Well, obviously Joe Burrow is good, is going to do that too. And he's got some good receivers uh, that, that he is already making better. So I, I think that's probably part of this discussion as well is, you know, you don't have Jamar Chase and certainly that hurts, but you do still have Joe Burrow and, and you do still have some pretty good receivers. Just uh, last week, and it's really especially relevant to look at last week because this offense has sort of morphed. Tyler Boyd, nine targets, Jamar Chase, 11, Hayden Hurst, eight, T. Higgins, seven. Uh, so he he did kind of even it out among the, those four guys. But um, obviously, 11 targets to Jamar Chase, that's a huge number. All right, Doug, do you have a good one for us? Yeah, I don't know what the number would be on this, but but how about Harrison Bryant, two touchdowns? 
because I'm curious to see who the Browns second most targeted guy will be in the absence, assumed absence of David and Joku. And, and just like it might be tea time, it might be Harrison time. Like, Oh, ho, 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 ho. Oh, you got rid of Austin Hooper, but you gave David and Joku all this money. What about a little old Harrison Bryant? Now, you know, He's like a third of good as 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 David Joku is, but you got to throw it to somebody. And if they move the ball a little bit, they they're not going to stop throwing to the tight end. And as we've said a million times, David and Joku is their tight end and also their second receiver. Who is the next option? Who is the next option Monday night after Amari Cooper? I I, I I'm actually asking. You guys cover the Browns. I'm actually <laughs> asking that question. But so so but like. Little wrinkle, not like I'm not looking for, you know, 48-yard gains down the seam from Harrison Bryant, but in certain moments, they're still going to throw to the tight end, and he's going to be the guy. Harrison Bryant has scored two touchdowns once in his career. It came against the Cincinnati Bengals. Which is why I picked this, Dan. I did a lot of no. – so, but I mean, that's like one of those things, right? So um, – and, and it's – again, I almost feel like it's the – it's this reverse thing of like Odell gets hurt against the Bengals last year. And it's like the emergence or was it two years ago and the emergence of DPJ. It's like you fill in, right. You start fit, a guy steps up because a guy goes out and then maybe the defense takes you into account less because, well, in Joker, we got to worry about, we don't have to worry about Bryant. And then all of a sudden that was two years ago, right? My goodness. Baker Mayfield does not play for the Browns anymore. Is that correct? Mm-mm. So I think, I think I, they can't, I can't keep it straight anyway. So I think, I just think, I, I could see that. Kevin still wants to throw the tight end. Over under one over, and a half. Over under end. one and a half. And I'll go crazy over. The odds on that, if it hits, are 86 to one <laughs> on my fake sports book. Cool. Mary Kay? You know what? I, I think I'm going to go with the under on that. Um, just because it just seems like, for whatever reason, I have to look up the the numbers on um, on Harrison's touchdowns in his career but he is not a big touchdown catcher necessarily he has Um, six he has six in his career three three and zero this year and even David Njoku only has one isn't that weird from these two tight ends they have combined for one touchdown catch this season I think that's part of the problem but anyways I digress so I, I, I'm not entirely certain that he will have more than one. So I'm going to go with the under on that. Ashley, what do you think? I'm also going to take the under, uh, mainly because I think there are a couple other guys who, if David is not playing, that I think could pick up some of the slack, so to speak, and when it comes to targets and, and options on offense. And, and like Mary Kay said, David hasn't been this big touchdown scorer yet, so I don't think that's going to fall into Harrison Bryant's lap here. So does anyone's opinion change after hearing Kevin Stefanski call Harrison Bryant Harry? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, Today in his press conference, asked about Harrison Bryant, just casually threw a Harry out there. I know. That's a I first. mean, it makes sense. Listen, Harrison Harry, it, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I've I never thought that about him. I had never heard that before. 
I mean, this team is so odd in terms of touchdown catches this season. David Njoku has one and Kareem Hunt has one and Amari Cooper has four. That's it. That is it. Isn't that shocking? And the Bengals have only given up six touchdown passes this season, six and none in the second half of a game. So therefore, if Harry catches two, I think it'll be a big shocker. I am also taking the under. Now, the Bengals have been a little vulnerable to tight ends. They've only allowed one touchdown catch to a tight end this season, but they have given up. This is from Pro Football Reference, 399 yards and 38 receptions, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. I believe that that is in the league and receptions to tight ends, but still only that one touchdown. And you heard Andrew Gillis earlier well, Mary Kay and I heard it. Doug and Ashley have not heard it yet. But he told us about uh, kind of how the Bengals' defensive approach is like, you can give up yards, just don't give up points. Mm-hmm. And they certainly haven't been doing that to, to tight ends. I'm going under here, too. I, I think I could see Harrison Bryant getting one touchdown. I think two is too much to ask, though. Harrison, when he's home, Harry in the end zone. I'm trying to do like a, you know how like in the streets and then the other thing. No, you don't do have that. that. You don't have that gift. You gotta, you'll have to wait for me to come up. With I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> don't and then don't Mary you Kay... learn that you have to wait for Mary Kay or I to come up with the puns on this podcast, and you just have to ride our coach. But I like to try to throw out bad ones because then it inspires you guys to swoop <laughs> in with even better stuff. So if you guys could come up with a T-shirt about Harry Bryant that from I could makers, make up before Monday. From the makers of Baker Maybe Field and Jacoby. <laughs> insert Harrison Bryant pun oh. here That's you right. don't want to know how many Jacobably t-shirts I have on the clearance track <laughs> oh wow and for those who haven't listened to our uh the pod that Doug talked about I've coined the phrase of when you put uh the two best receivers from each team together and you get Jamari so you'll it's like Jumanji yeah. <laughs> you can hear that on our uh offensive pod but now Kind of loses a little of its thunder, but that's all right. Still going. Go give By it the way, tar- targets this year: Amari Cooper, fifty-nine; David and Joku and Donovan Peoples-Jones, both forty-two; Harrison Bryant, twenty-one. So, if we're trying to figure out like who's, I mean, you know, obviously, I guess it gets us DPJ. We'll yeah. take some of that Joku stuff, especially down the field, right? But, um, but Harrison Bryant's role obviously has to increase. So, Ashley, by the way, I just want to give a little backstory here. So we were looking at the DraftKings website sitting in the Browns media room today, and she came across a great one, just a great prop. It would have been it was a so good, super fun discussion. I, let me see if they still have it up here. They do still have it up it's there. It's their weekly special. It was a parlay plus 1400, Jamar Chase, 100 plus receiving yards and a touchdown. Tyler Boyd, 100 plus receiving yards and a touchdown. And that was going to make for such a great discussion on the podcast. Such a good discussion. I looked up all the numbers. You can't see them there, but I have like the total, the the yard totals and the touchdowns for each guy in each game. I figured out it only happened once and it was last week. Anyways, we can't talk about that now, but I have a different, you know, an imaginary prop bet that I've made up. And this is a guy we don't talk about in these prop bets typically, but I want to talk about him today because for whatever reason, he seems to come out hot against the Bengals. So I'm going to do Donovan Peoples-Jones over under total receiving yards in this game at 60. And 
looking at his totals against the Bengals, that's actually in the three games he's played in his career against the Bengals, 60 yards is his average. Um, folks may remember in 2020, he had the game-winning touchdown. He had 56 yards in that game. Um, in 2021, last year, he had a 60-yard touchdown, only two catches, 86 yards total, which prompted Doug to write a column with Dependable People's Jones in the title. I do remember he did come up with a pun for that one. It was great. That one, that one worked. I it forgot work. I had one that worked. Yeah, it did work, Doug. You just got to tap back into that. But looking at Donovan People's Jones for this year, I mean, I think we we've, we've kind of seen... I'm looking at his total yardage. He's It's been hit or miss. He had a 60-yard game in week one, 71 yards against the Falcons, 74 yards against the Patriots, 71 yards last week. All other games have been under that. Um, in that Jets game, he only got targeted once, had zero yards. So I think it's uh, 60 yards I'm, I'm comfortable with throwing out here, and I would take the over on that. Donovan Peoples-Jones, probably one of the – and I, I mean this in a flattering way, probably one of the weirdest receivers in the NFL. Yes. Because it is like he could go over 60 yards and have one catch. Yeah. That's and that could thing. that could be his night. And but that and it could be the biggest catch of the game. Yeah. Like it's he's really tough to get a handle on. Um I think I'm going to go uh I'm gonna go under here. But like I said, he could burn me. On he could on play. And part of my reasoning again is just with David being out. I think Donovan is one guy who you might be looking at getting more targets. And there are games, you know, like I said, there's been a game where he had one target against the Steelers. He only got three targets, but you know, last few weeks, nine, seven, five, six targets has kind of it feels like things have kind of evened out with him. But I think maybe his targets might increase with David not there. I definitely think they will. I mean, he has been so reliable. He's catching uh, almost everything that comes his way. He's been doing a really, really nice job this season. I just want to look up his catch rate real super quick. Um, David Njoku's was 81%. And I feel like... 61.9. 61.9. 26 catches on 42 targets. I just happen to have it up. Not as good as I thought it was. But... Better than Amari's. Better than Amari's. Yeah. So I still think that um, I feel like Jacoby feels very comfortable with him. And the key for Jacoby right now is completions. Do you remember when we heard uh, Alex Van Pelt say that we were talking about, you know, Jacoby maybe not necessarily hitting the deep ball. And he said, you know, the focus is on completions. Well, you can get completions with Donovan Peoples-Jones and you're going to need completions with David Njoku out. So I'm going to say over 60 for DPJ because I think he's going to play a very big role in this game. Yeah, I'll go under. I just, I just think he's if if for like if I feel like if Donovan Peoples Jones like average like 60 receiving yards in the stretch of games, he'd like have a 110 yard game, and then he'd have like a 12 yard game, and then like maybe. So I well, just don't. Well, let me tell know. you what his yardage was. I mean, he, again, he only played them. He's only played them three times. He was inactive the first time they played them in 2020. So 56 yards, 86 yards. And then in the finale last year, which again, we know doesn't really, didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. He had 38 yards. So that was like his lowest performing when the games mattered. One over that number, one under that number. But again, not a lot of catches. So it's kind of hard to gauge here. So Doug, are you going over or under? I'm under. 
Under. Okay. Um, all right. I'm going to throw one out there because unfortunately uh, we had a three things you need to know about this game recorded. It was really good. It was interesting. And then Jamar Chase decided he, he's out, just out, decided to rule Jamar Chase. I shouldn't say Jamar Chase decided he was out. Jamar Chase was ruled out and no one will ever hear that except me and Mary Kay and Ashley. But it did include some Miles Garrett discussion. And so I'm going to throw a Miles Garrett prop out there. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to do this. Miles Garrett versus Trey Hendrickson. Who has more sacks on Monday night? Mm. Now, what I had said in, in that segment, Lost to History, is I think if the Browns win this game, it's going to be because Miles Garrett has a Miles Garrett game and just two sacks, a strip, one of them is a strip sack. And just what did we say? Was he second? I think this was the team he's had the second most sacks against in his career. The Jets were first. Um, Joe Burrow not holding the ball as much as he usually does in this kind of new look offense, but maybe not having Jamar Chase out there changes that just a little. And Joe mm-hmm. will still hold the football. Like I think a number of his sacks are not necessarily his offensive line's fault. So I think there's opportunities there for Miles Garrett. And especially if the Bengals are spreading it out and don't have as many bodies to to kind of chip him and, and take care of him, he might be able to wreak a little havoc. So, you know, and then on the other side, the thing that would give me pause with the 60 receiving yards for people's Jones is maybe Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson are just going to heat up Jacoby Brissett all night. And uh, Jacoby has not done well under pressure. So more sacks, long story short, more sacks. My answer is miles, miles Garrett or Trey Hendrickson. And you know what? We'll just say this too: miles Garrett over under one and a half sacks. I'll make it a double. All right. I, I just want to look up how many times Joe has been sacked so far this season. And it's 24 times. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's of a lot. It's it's the second most in the league still. Yeah, behind and Jacoby, Fields. J- Jacoby's been sacked 14 times. Right. So Joe's still taking sacks. And, and you know, I just feel like Miles and Jadavian are starting to kind of heat up together again. I think they're going to be a little bit, a little bit healthier than they have been. And I think they're going to take it upon themselves to really try to disrupt Joe and get him off his mark and get him off his game. And um, so I, I think I'm going to go um, with miles and I think I'm gonna take the over. I think I'm going to yeah. take it over. I mean, that's, that's two sacks. It's a two sack game, which is certainly reasonable. He's had that before against this team. Right. And by the way, Joe Burrow was sacked 3.2 times per game in the regular season last year. He's being sacked 3.4 times per game in the regular season this year. So it's worse. The thing is, is like, I think a lot of time we think about, oh, like the quarterback's going to get sacked a lot, and then that means, oh, he's going to have a bad game. I mean, I think like Joe Burrow could get sacked five times by the Browns, and Miles Garrett has two and a half sacks, and he still takes the Browns apart. Like I think like Joe Burrow separates like I was sacked, and what was the negative effect on the totality of my game, like as well as anybody. So I could see – Miles Garrett having his moments against Joe Burrow. And then I could see Joe Burrow having his moments against the Browns. So because, and again, I, I, I don't mind it to agree. Like if you're, tr- if you're holding on to the ball, cause you're trying to make a play. And then sometimes you do make a play. Well, that's great. So I do think you take Jamar chase out and maybe you just are searching a little bit more for stuff. And uh, I, I would take, 
miles over Trey Hendrickson. And what was it? One and a half? One and a half. So yeah, basically we have that. two I, sacks I, or one. I'd go, I'd go like maybe 1.83 sacks for miles. So I'll go over one and a half. Wait, what was that number? I know. It's just a thing. <laughs> I know. All right. Go ahead, Ashley. No, I'm going to make it a clean sweep. I will take miles and I'll take the over on that. I mean, I just think he has the advantage here. And like, like Doug saying, like we might look back at this game and be like, oh, we got those sacks, but maybe it didn't matter if the Browns lose because Joe Burrow is just picking them apart every other time he doesn't wind up on the ground sacked. Um, I just, I don't know. I just like this matchup for the Browns in a lot of different ways. And this is one of them. I think maybe um, it could be an opportunity to create some of those game changing kind of plays, those strip sacks that we hear about. And I think it's, it's really important that the Browns do that if they want to have a chance in this game, quite honestly, still. I need to interject because it came to me, and when it comes to me, I have to say it. <laughs> so I have it. It is Halloween night, and guess who's going to shine? Scary Harry. Oh, man. Wow. How does she do it? Man. That was so good. I can see the shirts. Like spooky, <laughs> spooky font and like the slime dripping off the letters. Like uh, you look disappointed. I'm sorry. He's really mad. That's so much better than Scaris and Harrison. Scary <laughs> Harry. You were right there, Doug. Right there. You kind of like that though. I can see that on like the back of the shirt. Yeah. He should at the very least use it as an Instagram caption. <laughs> what one quick thing that I did notice in that Bengals game against the Falcons is something Joe Burrow, I think, is good at is there were a couple plays where they sort of allowed pressure and Joe threw right past the pressure and they, they got some gains on it. Uh, now maybe the Browns can kind of game them into that and maybe jump a route or something and come up with a pick. Cause I'm obviously if I saw it, they've seen it a million times, but I do wonder, like we've seen teams kind of use miles aggression against him, especially in the run game. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe Burrow is gutsy enough that kind of like Lamar Jackson did it once or twice on Sunday. Joe Burrow's gutsy enough that if 95 is bearing down on him, he'll still stand in and throw the football. Yeah. And I noticed in this past game too, that it just seems like uh, Joe Woods at certain times got more aggressive and dialed up the pressure and stopped worrying about who didn't know what was going on and just decided, you know, we're, we're going to attack. And I, I don't know, I sort of feel like that's going to be the mindset going forward, just a little bit more uh, attacking, a little bit more aggressive. So I'm feeling it. Yeah, because the, the defense was better last week, but it certainly wasn't fixed. And maybe that's your your solution is like, let's just keep bringing bodies and let's keep making let, let's keep finding ways to kind of cover up these errors. OK, we're going to make our picks here on the other side of this break. But first. Uh, let's hear from Lance Reisland and his scouting report on the Cincinnati Bengals. Lance, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. So obviously, and we're actually recording this within minutes of finding out that Jamar Chase is not going to play against the Browns on Monday night, and he may be headed to injured reserve as well. This obviously changes the game. I'm sure you have a lot in your scouting report on Jamar Chase. So how does him not being out there change this thing for, for the Bengals offense? Well, it's 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 a huge blow to the Bengals. It's a it's a really good thing for the Browns. He's dynamic. He's kind of getting they're kind of getting back in that swing where they were last year. 
Um, I think, you know, the first key to the game was two high safeties at all times. And that's uh, for me, the, my scouting report, now they still have Boyd, they still have Higgins. They still have, they still have some guys that can play, but he's the home run guy. So I think you can adjust uh, in terms, if you need to, in terms of not always having two high safeties. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's a huge loss for the Bengals. And, and I think it, I think it'll change with the Browns do a little bit too in the, in their back end. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, T Higgins, a lot of people look at him and think this is a guy who's a number one receiver playing as a number two. Tyler Boyd is fantastic. I do wonder though, when you watch Cincinnati, so like we, when people talk about the golden state warriors, they talk about Steph Curry, like just his presence draws so much gravity for the defense and just makes things so much easier on people. Is there a little bit of that with Jamar Chase? Oh yeah. Cause you're getting, you're getting coverage roles to him. You're getting the number one guy. So he's, ta- he's taking the number one corner. Um, you have to make sure you have help. If you're in zone, you have to make sure there's always help over top. If you're in man, you gotta have help over top. Um, you're taking guys out of the box for the run game. You, uh, he, he demands, um, this term we, you know, I've heard you use before. He's a game wrecker. He's a game wrecker on the offensive side of the ball, you know. And when you watch them, um, and I've watched a lot of film on Cincinnati the last two years, they're best when they don't do they they don't do complex stuff. It's hitches, it's slants, it's back shoulder fades. Um, it's not a complex route tree. It's just really good football player who wins. So now with T. Higgins and, and Tyler Boyd obviously taking on a bigger role, what, what do they do well? Uh, well, they're both uh, Boyd's really good in the slot. He runs. He, He's a, he can play outside too. He's good in, he's good on the entire slot route tree in terms of option routes, uh, over routes. Again, a lot of his stuff comes from Jamar Chase uh, opening things up. So it'll be interesting to see when he, uh, he's kind of the afterthought in terms of that slot receiver. You got Higgins and, and Boyd and he, and uh, I'm sorry, Higgins and Chase. And he gets lost in there in the slot at times, um, even though he's very, very talented. And then same thing with Higgins. Higgins rarely gets doubled. Um, all that coverage, all that attention goes to Chase. Now it's going to go to Higgins. Um, so once again, both very talented. I think Higgins is the number one guy. I think Boyd is fantastic in the slot. Uh, like I said, he works well against the linebackers. He works well against safeties. Uh, he finds openings. Um, he's very good in the scramble drill. Um, Burrow's very good in his uh, you know mini scrambles over the last couple of years. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. They, I think a lot of their success comes from Chase, however, though. So we'll see how that pans out for them. Okay, so we're we've been talking about the Bengals for like five minutes here, and I've barely mentioned Joe Burrow's name. So we have to have to obviously. I want to, I want to get your thoughts on him. I throughout this podcast, people are going to hear me use this this word to describe Joe Burrow. Just I came away from that Falcons game thinking point guard. They're running that spread offense out of the shotgun, and I just came away thinking like he looks like a point guard in this offense right now. Yeah, you know, he distributes very well. He uh, recognizes coverage very well. You know, everybody's kind of gone. The, the thought process is keep everything in front. And uh, I agree with that thought process. If you look early on when they were struggling, teams were playing uh, that Tampa 2 coverage and teams were playing two-man where they're manning underneath. Uh, but yeah, he finds an opening. And like I said, their route tree is not as complex in terms of uh, ins and overs and digs and things like that. They run a lot of hitches, slants, uh, RPOs. They do things in terms of they're going to try to get their guys in space. I love it. And once again, it ties back to what we've talked about for weeks now. It's players over plays. And they they do a good job of that that quick game of getting – he does a great job of getting the ball in their hands, uh, catchable balls that are easy to run with. So, um, again, not having Chase makes a lot of that – you know, he threw for, what, 481 last week. A lot of that's run after catch. And a lot of that is, uh, you know, throwing those vertical routes and things of that nature. So I'm interested to see in terms of uh, what the Browns do without Chase, because that changes that offense a ton. 
So why are the Bengals unable to run the ball in your mind? Well, you know, I don't think they commit to it. Um, they're, you know, I've seen a couple gap schemes. I think, I think they would be beneficial for them if they went more gap scheme. They, uh, they are a diehard duo uh, zone team and um, they just don't get much movement up front. And I, you know, I'm a big believer in you practice kind of, you play like you practice and, and they spread the ball out and to be good at what, how they do it. Um, it's not real physical. And when you watch them on film, they're not real physical up front. Um, they, uh, obviously we're talking NFL, so they're physical, but in terms of NFL run games, they're not the Browns run game. So, um, they're, it's all duo, it's all zone. Um, it's all combo blocks, but not the devastating. It's more, ver- it's more horizontal displacement than it is vertical displacement. So they're trying to get guys out of the way. Uh, and teams are just kind of, you know, playing that Tampa two and saying, you know, throw the ball intermediate and, uh, you, we'll, with our five or six, we'll stop the run. And that's, um, you know, they didn't run the ball very well last week either. That was a, that was a burrow, um, display last week. So, um, I just don't think they're super committed to the run game. It's not, uh, it's not their identity. They're in the shotgun a lot now too. That's sort of how they've remade their offense on the fly is they've gone to a lot more shotgun, a little more of that traditional spread look, which means they're running out of the shotgun as well. How difficult is that to do at the NFL level? Well, you're ne- you're never downhill in the shotgun. That's why a lot of people have gone to the pistol. So you're never downhill. You're always in you're always in sidecar, which makes it hard to get downhill. It makes it hard to read those doubles, especially on those zone uh, schemes, those uh, pin and pull schemes. It just makes it hard to get downhill. Uh, you don't have a lot of momentum. Uh, you know, teams are pass rushing to stop the run against them, so they're getting a lot of penetration. Uh, they like to get Taylor's always like that. They like to get four and five guys out. They don't help. That's why he's he gets sacked so much. You know, they don't they don't help those tackles very much. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not it's not conducive. It's, it's it, you can run the ball out of it, but it's not a power run game uh, by any means. So this defense, I think, a little bit underrated. Um, they haven't allowed a second half touchdown yet, I, I believe, all season. Uh, you know, some of their scoring numbers a little higher. I know they gave up some some stuff to New Orleans and they they did give up a little bit to the Falcons. But I think this defense is better than people realize. What do you see from this group? Well, it's kind of a no name group and they all play really hard. You know, Hendrickson's very good. They have some guys who can play uh, linebackers that can run. They do. They're uh, they're a very aggressive group. They get up field Um they're, once again, it's very hard to say in the NFL teams are uh, odd front or even front. They're very multiple front, uh, very similar. They'll be a little big Zach on third down. Uh, they're pretty basic, though. They don't do a ton. I mean, though, um, I think they're middle of the road in terms of – I would be willing to bet anyway they're middle of the road in terms of blitzes. Um, they're just pretty fundamentally sound. They fly around. Nothing nothing stands out to me on film in terms of, like, game records. Uh, but they have a lot of guys who do the right thing, and that's sometimes harder than – you can prepare for game records because you always have to have that for them. They're all, um, they're all pretty good. So it makes it very, very tough and they all play very well together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to see Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard who aren't two guys that like pop into your head when you think elite edge rushers, but they've formed a, a pretty nice edge rush tandem for them. I like Hendrickson. I've always liked Hendrickson. He's uh he's long. He causes issues. Um, yeah. I think he's uh he, he's very underrated. Um, I think Hubbard's underrated too. Long um, extension plays the run well. Uh, again, they read their keys very well up front. There's not a lot of. They have very good gap integrity. They don't lose um, lose sight of where the what their responsibility is. Play two or play away. So just a pretty sound group and, and a group that's pretty underrated and a group that uh, flies to football pretty well. Okay. Anything I missed here? Was there anything that that stood out to you in your scouting report that we missed? Uh, third down. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think third down is huge for the Bengals. They've been they've gotten better and better. And uh, in terms of they were seven for uh, seven for eleven last week, and uh, I think they're getting better and better in terms of that quick passing game. So in terms of not having Chase, uh, they can still be very good on third down. The tight end Boyd's very good. So Browns have to be very good at getting off the field at third on third down for sure. Okay, Lance, uh, you got a pick for us. I do. Actually, you know, it's we've talked about it before, matchups. And, you know, everything points to the Bengals. Uh, even with Chase, I was going with the Browns. I was going with the Browns 28-24. I like the matchups. I don't think um, I don't think they have a matchup for Garrett. They don't power run, which hurts the Browns. Um, I think the secondary can match up, especially now without Chase. Uh, home field, uh, big crowd. I'm going uh, Browns 28-24. Okay, there we go. Our picks are coming up on the other side of the break here. Lance, thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me as always, Dan. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast with Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Maurice, Ashley Bastock. Irie Harris is not here, but he did send me his pick. I will go ahead and lead off with his pick so I don't forget to read it. Uh, he's picking the Browns 24 to 23. Now, the spread in this game on DraftKings, it actually did drop. It was three and a half uh, as we're looking at it right now on Thursday. It's actually, let's see, I believe it's three now. Yeah, so it's the Bengals favored by three. The total, 45 and a half. So if I'm doing my math right, Irie has the over as well. Yes, at 24, 23. So Bengals favored by three, total 45 and a half. Doug, what's your pick? And I'll just say, I'm looking at a site that has it at two and a half, and I'm, we'll go okay, by so three, but I'm just saying, I, like, it's going that way. Yeah. Right, it feels like it's going towards the Browns. Yes. So I think you, I think you have to ask yourself a question, and the question is, do you think the Browns will lose seven or eight games in a row? Like, well, that's kind of a lot. That's kind of a lot of games. If you lose that many games in a row, that would be problematic. Let's say so they lost four in a row, so they lose. The Bengals are good. Oh, Bengals went to the Super Bowl. That's five. And if you go to Miami next week, it's not insurmountable. But I don't know, Tyree Kill, he's fast six. The Bills, uh, I'm not going to be the Bills. Seven. Tom Brady, I don't know. He's old, but I don't know. He's still Tom Brady. Eight. Uh, do you think they're going to be two and nine or whatever? Like I, so I'm picking the Browns. Like, when are you going to win? Are you going? Are you? Are you literally going to be like the worst team in the NFL? Like, I don't. They they compete with the Bengals. We know they compete with the Bengals. It's at home, and I just feel like the Jamar Chase injury might be like the thing that like, oh, okay, well, that's very helpful. So they're the Browns, oh, the David and Joku injury, that hurts the Browns. Oh, is Denzel going to be back? I don't know. Clowney's been out. Oh, Anthony Walker Jr.'s lost for the year. They're still waiting on Deshaun Watson. Are they going to trade Kareem Hunt? What's happening? Doug compared Kevin Stefanski to a cardboard cutout. All this stuff, right? It's all bad. And now what happened? It's like, hey, it's a team that went to the Super Bowl last year that the, the Browns beat twice. And their best receiver got hurt. It's like, oh, well, that seems helpful. So this is like it, like a test, right? Are you still, do you have a pulse? And I have a lot of doubts about the Browns, but I don't think they're in the ground, right? I don't think they're done. I don't think they're absolutely in like incapable of ever winning again until Deshaun Watson gets back. So then win now. You got to win now. When are you going to win? I got to beat Josh Allen. 27-23 Browns, um, and that's over, 
I do think it just, you know, even it's like one of those things, oh, you're missing some key weapons. Maybe it pushes you towards the under. A lot of times that's the opposite. You're just wrong on that. So 27-23, tight game. Beat beat the Super Bowl AFC team at home because you just got to prove that you're not dead yet. You know what? It's one of those. This is one of those weeks where I'm like, oh, I don't like that we're all picking the Browns, but I am picking the Browns. I am picking the Browns because uh, I do have a hard time imagining that they're going to win five straight games in a year when they were supposed to potentially go to the Super Bowl. Okay, so it's difficult for me to think that they are just going to. You mean the Browns lose five straight? Yes. Yes. Okay. Five straight. Hard for me to imagine that they're going to lose five straight. Sorry about that. So I think they are, are going to get it turned around. Um, all that yelling in the locker room after the last game isn't going to go for naught. Um, I think the Jamar Chase injury is very big. I, I really do. I think that I think that really hurts them a lot. And they're at home. Uh, I I do think that Miles and Jadavian are going to make an enormous difference in this game. And um, and I am picking the Browns to win 29 to 27. I'm also picking the Browns, um, basically for all the reasons Mary Kay and Doug have so nicely laid out, 31-24. Um, I, I just really think it something feels like this is a matchup that is really well suited for them. It felt like that last year. I do think this might be the best game Miles Garrett has had so far, um, given the Bengals' offensive line. And and I just think overall that the sack numbers that Joe Burrow has taken, there's a chance for him to make a really big impact. And kind of like we talked about on the now deleted uh, opening segment of this podcast, Dan, like he's going to have to if they're going to win. I think like that's that could be what stands between them and another loss. So. I do kind of agree with Doug's schedule of the our analysis of their schedule, um, including where they're going to get that next win from. And I think this matchup just seems like the most likely. And even though the Browns had some injury issues, I feel like it's easier to plug and play guys or or compensate for guys than it's going to be for the Bengals without Jamar Chase and that just being one huge weapon that the Browns aren't going to have to account for now. So I like the Browns to win this one uh, and I'm sticking with it. Okay, well, I'm I'm not going to make it a clean sweep. So, Mary Kay, you don't have to feel bad. I, I'm trying to not... So, in the opening segment, you heard Mary Kay and I talk about the Jamar Chase injury. And one of the things we said is you can't overstate how important that injury is. And I still believe that at this portion in the podcast. We recorded that like an hour ago. I, nothing has changed in that hour. I still think it's a significant injury. I think it opens the door for the Browns. But I also kind of have been telling myself, I don't want to make a pick just based on the recency of, oh my God, Jamar Chase is out. And the reality is, is I just don't, Doug, you asked us on Sunday night after the game, are the Browns bad? And I said, they're not bad, but I think they're underachieving. And I, I don't trust them. I just don't trust this team. And I still can envision, even without Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow sitting in the pocket and just playing point guard and just distributing the ball all night to T Higgins and Hayden Hurst and Tyler Boyd and whoever the number three is it Mike Thomas, whoever the number three receiver is who, by the way, Mike Thomas is fine. He's, he's a, he's a nice player. 
Joe Burrow is going to make him look fine. Joe Mixon, you know, I would still, I know the Bengals can't run the ball. I would still test these defensive tackles with Joe Mixon as much as I could. Cause Joe Mixon, I think is still one of the better running backs in football and he's very effective in the passing game. And so even though Jamar Chase is out, I, I still think the Bengals are going to win this game because I just don't trust the Browns. I don't trust this team. It didn't feel like it was good yelling in the locker room after the game. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't trust him yet. And I, that's fine if I'm wrong, right? That's how you earn trust back, right? You keep proving me wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, so I would just like to say that it's a, ve- it's a very reasonable pick, Dan, and you can, it, you're, you very well might be right. I would just like to, for the record, state that I still think the Browns are bad. And the headline <laughs> of my pick is even bad teams sometimes win. Because a year, a year ago, we, I think they're going to win and it's going to mean nothing. Because a year ago, the team exploded and they went to Cincinnati and Denzel Ward got a 99-yard pick six to open the game and they destroyed the Bengals. And we were all like, they did it for Baker. They're fixed. <laughs> and then they lost by 80 to the Patriots the next week, lost five of the next seven, and their whole franchise ended up in ashes. And they beat the Bengals, and it didn't mean squat. So that is my pick. This is an emotional home win at Halloween that will tell us absolutely nothing about the franchise and they still will have all the problems they currently have. I just don't think they're going to lose eight straight until Deshaun Watson comes back. So go Browns! (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, Bengals 27, Browns 25. So you're not picking them to beat the spread. Yeah, so I guess that's the Jamar Chase factor, is that I think the Browns maybe can can hang around and, and keep it close. I just, like I said, I just can't. I just don't trust them. I don't trust them. Their wins are a 58-yard field goal to beat Baker Mayfield. And, God, what was the other win? The Steelers. And, yeah, Mitch Trubisky and the Steelers on Thursday Night Football. So, I don't know. Don't trust them. Sorry, Browns. Go prove I like that. I mean, it's just hard, Dan. If you, I mean, if you go, and Ashley said the same thing, like you go too far down this road and it's like the, is the Browns best chance that like Tom Brady is getting divorced and maybe they'll beat the Bucks in a month. Like, Hey, that'll work. Like you, it can get dark real <laughs> fast, real fast for the two and five Browns. And I, look, I, I do believe they have a chance to win this game, obviously with that pick. Unlike, you know, when they go to Buffalo in a few weeks, like uh, we, we probably just shouldn't even record a podcast for that game. Let's just <laughs> let's just take the week off, call it another bye week. But um, th- it should be a fun game. But I, I still think Joe Burrow is the deciding factor in this game, even without Jamar Chase. OK, there we go. Our uh, Browns Bengals big preview pod. My thanks to Andrew Gillis for joining us. Of course, you can read all of his work as well of our as well as our entire Bengals reporting team. Cleveland.com slash Bengals uh, subscribe to Strictly Stripes. I did it. I'm telling you, say that five times fast. <laughs> subscribe to Strictly Stripes uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to hear their daily Bengals podcast. And also 
either on this feed or on their feed, you can listen to our All Ohio Defense, All Ohio Offense pods that we recorded earlier this week. So uh, also thanks to Lance Ryslin for joining us and giving us his scouting report. For Mary Kay, Doug, and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.